welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week we bring you Breeze Airways founder and CEO and perennial airline entrepreneur, David Nealman, in conversation with Brian Summers at the Skift Global Forum in New York. In their wide-ranging chat, Nealman acknowledged soft U.S. travel demand this fall, but said the big four carriers aren't really feeling it because of their significant market power. I'll let him tell you the rest. Please enjoy. Please welcome the founder and CEO of Breeze Airways, David Nealman, in discussion with founder and editor of the Airline Observer, Brian Summers. Good afternoon. Welcome back from lunch, everyone. David, nice to have you here. I, I want to start by giving you a, uh, a shout out. Uh, you're obviously a very uh, successful man. Uh, and I understand you told me that you got here by taking the air train to the Long Island Railroad. You're just that big of a transit nerd? I am. You know, I spent, you know, when, when I found a JetBlue, you know, they, they put that air train loop in there. And then we had the Penn Station. I thought, wow, if we could ever get Grand Central, that'd be awesome. So. It's cool. I mean, it's the second time I've actually taken it into Grand Central Long Island Railroad. And it took 20 years, but it's, and billion, I don't know how many t- billions of dollars, but it's pretty spectacular. That's that great. Do that. So we, we enjoyed, my wife and I, we had a good time doing that <laughs> this morning. We're going to let you uh, talk lots about uh, your new airline, Breeze Airways, but I think a lot of people in this room know you as the founder and former CEO of JetBlue Airways. Uh, I learned something interesting uh, about you during the course of researching this, that you, uh, you're from Utah, you had spent very little time in New York, um, you really didn't know the area very much, and you flew out to New York because the data told you, and only the data, that this was the place to start the airline. Is that pretty much uh, what happened? Yeah. Um, I always joke that I, I came in off the turnip truck, you know, because <laughs> this kid showed up from Utah, what does he know? I was actually born in Brazil, but I moved to, uh, which is key to my Azul story, but uh, m- moved to Utah when I was five and started an airline there, sold to Southwest. And you know, one time I was talking to Herb Kelleher and I said, where, where are you gonna grow next? And he walked over to the map and he cupped kind of the Ohio Valley to the Northeast and said, right here. And I said, why? And he said, that's where all the people are. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of that stuck with me and, and then, um, I had a computer reservation Navitaire today that I had started, and you know I was always interested in um, People Express and Newark and that whole story. And then one time Don Burr came to see me and said, "I'm thinking about doing airline JFK." And I said, "Oh, good." So I waited and waited and waited. My non-compete was up, and he didn't do anything. So I thought, you know, that seems like a good place to start. So I don't know how many people in the audience uh, know this origin story, uh, but I was talking to Alex Wilcox, one of the founding employees of, of JetBlue, and he said that the plan was to call the thing uh, Virgin USA, but you just couldn't get it done? Well, you know, we thought that was a great brand, and we thought it would be good. That's how I met Alex. He was working at Virgin at the time. Um, then met with um, Richard, and we were kind of moving down that path, and then I think he kind of thought that the, the U.S. ownership laws could change and he could have a bigger percentage, and we said, no, that's not going to work. So we, uh, we decided to kind of go our own way. It was interesting, when he started Virgin Blue, um, 
you know, I said to him, hey, are you copying us? You know, because we had jet blue. And he goes, no, 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 in Australia, the, a, a redhead is a bluey. And I said, you know, I really don't care what it is. As long as people think you copied us, that's all that matters. It was, so we've had a good, good relationship over the years. So in 2000, the next big opportunity was come to New York. You take over an empty terminal at, at JFK. The rest is history with JetBlue. You've recently uh, founded a new airline called Breeze. It couldn't be any different. So uh, last week, you had a press release. It came to me. I was kind of shocked with the city. You're going to fly from Springfield, Illinois, to, uh, I think, uh, Tampa and Orlando. So what is, what is this new opportunity that you see? If you're going to fly now where the other airlines aren't, what is Breeze doing? Well, when I got um, booted, I guess, from JetBlue, I should say, my own company, um, you know, they put me on the you know, chairman of the board, and I was just kind of bored on the board. I went to Brazil and started Azul, and it was really interesting. I learned a lot about um, being the only carrier in the market and how much you get higher profit margin. You know, Azul today has 1,000 flights a day, flying 30, 30 plus million people, delivering 30 million packages. Um, and so as I kind of looked, I wasn't going to start an airline just for the sake of starting it. You know, if you just do that, then obviously you're not successful, and most airlines are not successful. But as I looked at the U.S. market, you know, we've got the regional jets, and they're down to 74 seats. They're limited. So it's kind of a fabricated airplane for scope. And then what I saw this trend where the airplanes were getting just bigger and bigger and bigger. The 319s were going away. The 737, 700s were going away. And the 321s were becoming... Airbus 321s, the you know Max 8, now the Max 10. You know those, the, everything's getting bigger and bigger, and I just saw that there was a, a middle space that was right in the middle, and then I looked, took a look at the A220, and the A220 had unique characteristics. It had long-range airplane fuel burn with the latest generation engines. It could, you could configure it pretty easily for some premium seating, so you could get some extra revenue you know in the cabin. And you could do short filled, you know, uh, airports maybe people couldn't get involved in. So I, I just really thought that there was a need. Now, Allegiant just has done an amazing job in, in that area. They, you know, have, have hundreds of routes, you know, probably 500 routes or more that they are kind of the only airline that are in that market. But look, they are going bigger as well. You know, they went to the max, I think the max. Uh, even the Max 7 has 173 seats in it, and the Max 8 has 200 seats in it. So still, if we have a 20% lower trip cost than the others, then there's an exponential amount of markets you can go into. And there's answering your, your Springfield, Illinois question. You know, we just really want to fly where people aren't. Um, <laughs> we want to be able to make it convenient for customers. And I think that's why, you know, this month, we had an all-time high on our NPS score. We're at over 70 on our NPS score, which is unheard of. And I think it's just because people are so appreciative. They just get on a plane. They can get there in an hour and a half instead of connecting, getting there in four hours. And uh, you know, we can stimulate a lot of traffic doing that. All right. So uh, I'm an airline nerd. It's what I'm obsessed with. I know many people in the crowd are from uh, different areas of the travel business. So I promised Rafat that I would only geek out on airplanes once. And we're going to geek out over something called what you mentioned, trip cost versus per seat cost. So 
every other US airline says the reason that we fly maybe a 235 seat A321neo in one cabin configuration is because you have to take the price per seat down as low as possible. And the more seats you have on the airplane, the easier it is to do. You still have two engines that you pay for. You still have two pilots. Maybe you pay for one or two or three more flight attendants, but that's it. So bigger is always better. And you are the only person now that says, look, the extra seats don't matter if you don't fill them. And it's all about trip costs. It costs you less money to fly that airplane from point A to point B. So why are you doing something completely different than the rest of the industry? Because what in Brazil I learned it was really trip cost was important. And let me just give you an example. So um, if I'm flying between you know, point A and point B, and my cost is $10,000 to fly that flight, and our, my, you know, a competitor with a much bigger airplanes flight you know, costs $13,000 to fly that because I burn less fuel, uh, because my planes are less expensive, because the gross landing weight is less, There's, and we use more technology, all that. And there's just enough revenue to do 10,000 in revenue, um, or if let's say there's 12,000 in revenue, that's the most you can get off that flight. I can make a 20% margin, and my competitor loses 10%. And you know, you can look at the database of, of uh, all the information that's inside the DOT has number of customers. You know, I had this argument one time with one of my schedule planning guys back at JetBlue, and. His argument was the revenue on a route always stays the same. <laughs> you can fly twice as many people for half the price, and you can fly half as many people for twice the price, but the revenue doesn't change. Now, obviously, there is revenue growth, particularly in cities where we fly. You know, there's, there's been 75% of all the cities in the United States have lost air service, and 123 have lost more than 25% of their air service. You take a city like Huntsville, Alabama, it's grown 25% in the last 10 years. Every major defense contractor is there. The place is absolutely booming. My beautiful wife's from there. Um, and air service is down 25%. So basically, what the airlines are saying is you can go to the hubs or you can drive to Nashville, and that's a two-hour drive. Those are your two options. So we fly, we fly to Tampa, we fly to Orlando, we fly to Las Vegas. So those are places people want to go. And, and we can do it, and people are just really grateful. The other thing is, and I think this is really important, is that ancillary revenues are a real pain in the rear end for people. I mean, Southwest has had great success because they don't charge for extra bags and they don't charge for change fees and all that stuff. You know, we, we do well in ancillary revenues, but it's because we're more, the main reason we do better, and when we don't charge, uh, a cancellation fee, you can cancel up until 15 minutes before. You can use that credit for another flight. You can have family seating, all the stuff that you know is important. Um, but we, we do well because so many people buy the upgrades to the seats. We have 12 first class seats. So we had a choice of going all coach at 145 or taking out eight seats to go to 137, add 12 first class seats and 42 extra legroom seats. And there's, very few, there's only one middle seat because we're two and three. And people love that. They love spending an extra 20 bucks or 100 bucks to go first class. And so that generates, that makes people happy instead of being at the gate measuring their bag you know, um, and, and causing uh, you know, a lot of consternation that people you know, feel on some of these you know, other airlines that are pretty aggressive on this stuff. So.
Thank you. All right, so you're, you're a private company. We don't know that much about your economics, uh, but I was listening to an investor conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Barry Biffle, the CEO of Frontier Airlines, an ultra low cost airline, uh, he essentially sounded like catatonic. Uh, he had let go his uh, you know, head of commercial. He said, you know, business is, is, is not good. Bookings have fallen off. I think first, technically he quit, but yes. Okay. The, the first two weeks of, of, of September, you know, uh, were not good. Things were not getting better. W what are you seeing at Breeze? Well, certainly, you know, there, there was a move back to my argument of, you know, kind of the revenue stays the same. Um, there's been a ton of capacity added in the fourth quarter. You know, I think it was, um, you know, the big guys are doing well internationally, and so they just, there was, it's like a 20% number, you know, fourth quarter over fourth quarter. So I think there's a, there's a lot of people traveling. It's just that you have to fill that extra 20% of fares, and so fares have come down, and this is where I think, you know, Barry's catatonic. Fares <laughs> have come down as fuel prices have gone up. And, and that's challenging, because usually, like in Brazil, if we, you know, because 90% of our markets were the only carrier, fuel goes up a dollar a gallon, we just add 10 bucks to the fares. And you can recapture, I don't know, 50 to 75% of the increase. But when fares are going down because capacity's up, at the same time fuel's up, you know, I mean, these big guys burn like 4 billion gallons a year. And you add a buck a gallon, that's $4 billion of extra expense. And so, you know, that, that, would, that would cause some consternation. Now, obviously, um, you know, I, I love to use uh, Allegiant as an example. I think they're, they've done an amazing thing. Second quarter, they had 17% margin. Third quarter, I think they're probably gonna be, I don't know, just guessing, high single digit margin. They fly where people aren't. That's the difference between being catatonic and saying, no, it's, you know, business is good because you fly where people aren't. Um, you know, I was, when, when I decided to start Breeze, I was actually down in, in Arizona uh, in a community right next to Mesa Airport. And I was talking to a guy who owned a couple million dollar house on a golf course, and he lives in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I was talking to him, I said, how many times a year do you come to Phoenix? And he goes, ah, 10, 12 times. Anytime the thermometer goes below zero, <laughs> I call Legion, I'm on a flight, I'm here in the afternoon, I'm golfing, it's 65 degree weather. And I said, would you ever, ever consider flying anyone else? He says, he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, why? I'm gonna connect through Chicago or somewhere else, you know, in the middle of the winter time? No way, I will only fly Legion. You know, they're not perfect, but you know, I, I love flying them. So if you fly at the times of year where people wanna go, you're the only nonstop carrier. You do it for a really fair price. Get them there twice as fast for maybe half the price. Then you can build a great business doing that. All right, so you do a lot of things very well. But one thing you do really well is you're an excellent marketer. You're, you're, you're a good showman, which I, which I think is a great thing. And when you started this airline breeze, you said we're getting these brand new A220s. And this is a small airplane that we can fly to Hawaii we can fly to Europe, we can yeah. fly to deep South America. I'm looking at a question right here in front of us from a member of the audience, and it says, any international flights for the future? Can you tell us, are you actually gonna do this stuff with this nifty airplane? Absolutely, yeah. We're kind of weeks, uh, days away from being able to do international charters, 
And then hopefully by the end of the year or shortly thereafter, we'll have what's called flag status. Uh, we're going through that, that process today with the FAA. And once we're approved, we're going to announce a bunch of international flights uh, from, from cities that we fly to. And, and uh, there's a lot of good opportunity. But it's going to be like Mexico, Caribbean. It's not going Mexico, to be Mexico, Caribbean. Right? It could be, well, we, we can't get to Paris, um, but we can get to the British Isles. We can get to Ireland from the Northeast, say, or we can get deep into South America or Central America, make it to Hawaii, you know, potentially. So uh, that's a whole other certification issue with, uh, with ETOPS, but, uh, you know, lots of opportunities. All right. Uh, another thing that you said when you started Breeze, and, and this was kind of a, a fun slogan, I don't know if it happened or not, uh, you're not an airline, you're a tech company that flies airplanes. Has that happened the way you wanted it? Not, not, not entirely, um, but it's slick. You know, I mean, you, can, you can get on our app, you can book a reservation, you can change a reservation. Uh, you can, you know, one of the things I think you'll learn um, from, from your mistakes and uh, all of our, uh, we have what's called our GET team, our guest empowerment team. They all work from home, every single one of them. We were a little short-staffed this summer and it took a little bit longer to get back to people, which kind of annoyed me because you know, customer service is really important for us. So, um, you know, by having everyone at home and, and being able to chat with all of our customers and not having big call centers, we can usually, the goal is to get back to someone in less than 10 minutes. Um, and we watch that metric really closely. But if you have extra people on the phone, you can always say, who wants to get off today and, you know, go to the park with your kids or whatever. And, and so we can adjust that, um, that workforce to the demand and we should always be able to get back to our people uh, a lot quicker. So that's kind of new invention. And everybody who, who books with us, we have their cell phone number or email address. So if a flight's you know, running late or an issue, we can communicate. Um, we can communicate with them and, and talk to them. I, I got an uh, email the other day from someone who uh, flew us and you know, there was a, as always, <laughs> not always, but as happens sometimes, the cockpit gets an indication, has to go back to the gate and reset something, uh, especially with new airplanes. And then he took off, it was you know, an hour late, they got in 30 minutes late, and he said, by the time he landed, there was an e apology email from us explaining what happened. So you know, that being able to communicate with your customers and, and having them be connected to you uh, is all part of the tech experience, but you know, we certainly can do better and we will continue to evolve. Well, let me put you on the, uh, on the spot here because we've asked uh, other people on stage about you know, what some people call uh, nuisance fees, or these fees that get added to prices that people don't like very much. Uh, I was doing a dummy booking before. You have something called a technology development charge. It's on every ticket. People don't necessarily notice it. For the ticket that I was looking at, $109 was like a $29 fee. Yeah. It's really part of the fare, right? But w why do you break that out like that? You know, I don't know. It's just something that our guys decided to do. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it seems to be working, but, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, is, it is a little annoying, but we do have a technology expense, so. <laughs> Um, you know, that's one of the one annoying ones. Everything else, you know, we don't have a change fee. We don't have, we don't have a cancel fee. Um, you know, we, like I said, we sit families together. Upgrades to, to our extra legroom seats are really um, expensive. We don't beat people up at the gates. So on a whole, I think we, we wouldn't have a 70 MPS score if people hated what we were doing. They really like it. Great. Uh, we have an audience question here that I'll add to about uh, sustainability. 
And uh, you've been pretty outspoken on some things. Uh, the industry has coalesced on this idea that the future is about SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, which, which in part it's using like things like uh, used cooking oil to fuel airplanes. United says 0.1% of its global fuel is SAF. Yeah. Uh, you don't think much about SAF, do you? No, I don't. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. And I think, you know, I think, first of all, I'm not a climate change denier, right? So go, I want to go on record as that. I'm not some kind of lunatic in that area. But I think of all of the wasted money for that that we would spend on that. Now we have a problem. You go to the grocery store today and you can't buy, you can't buy anything for for two hundred dollars worth of groceries anymore. Few prices are through the roof. So we are if, if to any can any size meaningful amount of SAF. We're gonna have to take millions and millions of acres and billions of gallons of fresh water that we need to grow food at a lower and, and more sustainable price. We're gonna put it into something that has no, that costs three and a half to four times more than regular jet fuel, which is already high. All it's gonna do is, is waste money and cost people jobs. You know, what, what we do as an airline in, in Brazil, we deliver 35 million packages in 48 hours or less that was never done before we got there, and we do it to uh, 4,800 uh, municipalities. We take life-saving vaccines and, and life-saving medicines and all this stuff. We employ 50,000 people directly and indirectly in the country. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing all the ESG stuff with the focus on E and not S, you know, social. It's really important. Now, what do we do instead? Well, I drive a Tesla. I bought a Tesla, it was $60,000. I, I elect, you know, put electricity in it. It's cheaper for me to drive that car. It doesn't work on an airplane, but it works in a car. So what can we do to take all that wasted money we would have and put it, you know, we're 2% of the, of the carbon emissions and transportation as a whole is 28%. So what can we do to take that money and put it where it actually makes economic sense, where people will actually do it as opposed to just blowing money Costing jobs, costing you know uh, valuable acreage for fuel, you know by by bringing in natural gas and nuclear and all you know those things that can really help. Instead of this is just greenwashing. It really is. It's nonsense. And I think somebody needs to you know say it is for what it is. What about what about your customers? I mean, do you do you worry that they want Breeze to do, to adopt some sort of you know marketing promise to them, or they're going to book another airline, or you don't think it matters? People are not stupid, you know. I mean, they, they understand greenwashing when they see it. Uh, you know, we have an ability down in Brazil. You can pay an extra ten bucks if you want to plant two trees in the Amazon. 0.001 percent of the people actually do it. If it mattered to them, they would offset their carbon. Um, but if I said, look. We're going to spend five bucks every customer. Uh, we're going to take five dollars. Everyone who flies domestically in the U.S. just under a billion. So you take five billion dollars and you said, okay, as an industry, we're going to waste five billion dollars on SAF or more than that. If it's three, three and a half or four times more, let's use that money to help subsidize power plants, diesel trucks, tra other transportation things to offset so that they can, can afford to buy more expensive trucks so that they can go, um, you know, electricity. But then you have to, like, figure out, okay, where's the nuclear power plants? 
you know, who's burning diesel fuel? And, you know, we want to go after people burning diesel fuel because that brings down, you know, our price of diesel fuel as well. So there's, there's really a lot smarter way to do this. All right, let's go back to another nerdy airline question. We'll, we'll, we'll take it from the screen because I, I think it's a good one. Uh, you know, in, in, Europe, in Europe, the discount airlines, Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air, and others, they have a huge percentage of market share. And, you know, there was this conventional wisdom in the United States that that was going to happen here. It really hasn't happened, right? The big four, I mean, Southwest is kind of an LCC, but the big four yeah. still own the vast majority of share. Uh, why haven't LCCs and ULCCs taken more share here? You know, I, th I think, well, f first of all, you know, the government was tremendously helpful during COVID. <laughs> These big guys got, you know, the airlines, which we didn't participate in because we weren't around, got $53 billion. Um, I was running TAP and had TAP. We got nothing from the government, zero. TAP is the Portuguese airline. Yeah, the Portuguese yeah. airline. So, you know, the government ended up taking that back. But we, we got nothing. So... You know, they came out of COVID strong because, you know, they had to keep their people employed, obviously, and they had to pay the salaries and all that. Um, but I think the power of the frequent flyer programs, the credit cards, um, you know, and, and I think they're, they're very aggressive and they, you know, want to maintain their market share and they have market power and, and they're using it. And that's why we, we try and stay away from them. We fly, we fly where they aren't because, um, you know, they have a, a tremendous tremendous power and you know they, they all went through bankruptcy as well um, you know years ago so they were able to get rid of their legacy costs um, you know Delta's got a great product I mean you get on there you got free internet you got TV you know it, it's a it's a great product it it looks a lot like JetBlue actually <laughs> I think uh, they figured out that that was important to customers and so um, you know that's why we're kind of where they aren't great uh, we're almost out of time. I have one more quick question for you. Hopefully you can give us a quick answer. A lot of hotel people out there in the audience. Uh, I understand you wanted to name this uh, airline Moxie. You're going to name the airline Moxie. And Marriott said, absolutely not. Are you out of your mind? Is that true? Well, it just so happened that my, my brother works for a law firm that does intellectual property, my older brother. And he called me up and he said, hey, um, we, had, we had someone just call and try to clear conflicts to... to, to to, to get involved in stopping you from naming your airline Moxie. So I said, I, I don't want to deal with that. So came with Breeze. I well, like you picked Breeze. a fun name. Thank you so much, David. Thank I appreciate so it. Appreciate it. <laughs>